It's hard to deny the fact that most people want to be happy. But doesn't it feel like the harder that we try to find happiness, the more elusive it becomes? Until recently, Dr. Mike Rucker had spent most of his life engaged in the pursuit of happiness. Yet even when all his happiness boxes were checked, he was married with kids and had a successful career. He was well-traveled and physically fit. He didn't feel all that happy. It wasn't until Mike suffered two back-to-back personal losses that it began to dawn on him how much energy he had been expending grasping for an ideal life and criticizing himself when it seemingly always fell out of reach. In focusing on a lofty, abstract concept, Mike had discounted day-to-day pleasures. In particular, he had neglected to have fun. Dr. Mike Rucker is an organizational psychologist. His work, his ideas and research on fun have been published and focused on in the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post, Fast Company, the Telegraph, Psychology Today, Forbes, and more. And he recently released a book called The Fun Habit, How the Pursuit of Joy and Wonder Can Change Your Life. And today, my hope, my friend, is that you will listen to this conversation with Dr. Mike Rucker and you can have the fun habit enter into your life so you can pursue joy and happiness in your family. My conversation with Dr. Mike Rucker starts right now. You are listening to the Dads Making a Difference podcast, the number one podcast for men driven to live a life of significance. Men who want to make a difference in the lives of their families, in their business, and in the world around them. My name is Cam Hall, founder of Fight the Dabot and leader of the Dads Making a Difference Mastermind. Thank you so much for spending time with me today. Now, let's dive in. Dr. Mike Rucker, welcome to the Dads Making a Difference podcast. It's a pleasure to have you on today. Uh, it's a pleasure to be on. So thanks so much for the invitation. I, I love our conversations. You know, we've been able to speak like twice now, but <laughs> both times we just get rolling. And even before this recording started, we're, we're diving into what it means to be a dad and how things are changing in our world. And uh, it's amazing how as a father, we can take so much information from around us and put it through the simple filter that I'm a dad right now. Hey, and, and we put ourselves maybe in the backseat and put our kids to the forefront. And I see that in you and we have kids the same age, right? Yeah, that's wild. Yeah. It's pretty much uh, carbon copy. Yeah. Amazing. Well, Mike is Mike's okay. You told me, yeah, Mike yeah, is okay. yeah. <laughs> um, but, but I did want to give you the respect of being Dr. Mike Rucker because you have done a depth and breadth of research around play and what it means to to play and you have a book called the fun habit i have it right here and if you're listening mm-hmm. you got to get this book the fun habit how to the pursuit of joy and wonder can change your life and i have really enjoyed uh, both reading and listening to this book and i love that you do the audiobook that's like my biggest win when i get an audible book is that the author reads it so uh, thanks for taking the time to do that. I appreciate that. I, I've confessed this a couple of times. It certainly was um, was a challenge. It took like over 40 hours. I think, you know, when it's not something that you have mastery in, uh, they were gracious enough to give me the runway to be able to do it. But uh, yeah. yeah, so thanks for uh, 
acknowledging that it was worth it. Of course, we are going to get into this amazing book really shortly. But Mike, for our listeners, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, Maybe, you know, a brief, like what your upbringing looked like, life looked like that got you to the point where you were passionate about play and about fun. Yeah. So I think, you know, there's several paths to take the onset of my desire to understand psychology was really serendipitous. I got access to a gentleman by the name of Dr. Michael Gervais. Um, He has a popular podcast called Finding Mastery, and he's made a name for himself in the States, um, being a sports psychologist for a ton of athletes, Red Bull athletes, Ryan Wilson, when Wilson was doing well with the Seattle Seahawks. And so he really became a mentor in the early 2000s. And at that time, also this budding um, new facet of psychology called positive psychology was coming on board. So this gentleman by the name of Marty Seglerman, um was really pushing these ideas. Cheek Set Me High wrote a book called Flow. And so if you don't know these names, it doesn't matter. And if you don't understand the concept of flow, but these were all sort of budding ideas within the realm of positive psychology, which is really just a way of looking at psychology for betterment. Because up until that point, if you went and got a psychology degree, it was really just about treating um, poor mental hygiene or, you know, poor clinical outcomes, things like depression and anxiety. And at the turn of the millennium, um, we were starting to look at how we could use these tools effectively, primarily through the lens of happiness. And so I really started to study happiness and began to optimize my own life for happiness. And so fast forwarding to why I kind of pivoted to fun, in the last decade, we've come to understand that we've probably overprescribed people on happiness so that when someone is, you know, really rigorously pursuing happiness as an outcome, paradoxically, we're seeing that these are some of the most unhappy people. And in the book, I confess that's essentially what happened to me. You know, I had really had so many good days that when life naturally knocked me on my butt, because that's going to happen to everybody, um, I wasn't well equipped to deal with it. I didn't have the emotional flexibility to sort of navigate what was in front of me. And, you know, I came close to a clinical outcome myself. And so if happiness as an ideal um, can be problematic, because it's certainly not bad to value happiness or want people to flourish. I always want to make that clear. Like, is this guy saying happiness is bad? Like, no, you know, of course we want to be happy. Um, And it's an interesting byproduct of living a joyful life, right? But when we make it an outcome-based goal, um, it's clear that bad things can happen. And so if that's true, then what, what can we do, right? And essentially what I've done is reframe fun as a form of mindfulness right? That, okay, yeah, let's be mindful in what we do. But also, if you're not enjoying yourself, you're not going to want to stick with it. And we don't give that enough credence. We've so swung the pendulum with regards to um, delayed gratification Mm -hmm. that um, so many people are like, I don't know why these habits don't stick, right? And we now know through a whole host of science, you can be geeky about it and call it system one thinking or, you know, immediate rewards, but it's really just, are you enjoying the things you're doing? And once you can blend those two, the things you're supposed to be doing or that you want to be doing because you should still be driven by purpose and make them enjoyable, then this becomes really sustainable. And then the best part is happiness becomes 
um, you know, just a, an interesting and wonderful byproduct of the fact that you're enjoying the things you're doing. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think it's a message that where it's time is due. Um, it's funny. I just, James Clear's newsletter this week, he gave a tip of the hat to it, you know, like, Hey, yeah, habits, but also like, let's make sure you're enjoying them. Yeah. And so, you know, the whole book unpacks the fact that so many of us are living life thinking that we have to do things that, you know, that honor and value comes from duty. And to some degree that might be true, but when we're not enjoying the process, we get burnt out. We have no longevity to do the things we need to do. And then also based on, you know, emerging science, you know, for anyone that's interested in that, it's called the hedonic flexibility principle. We know the folks that are fun starved are about as productive as the folks that are sleep deprived. And so, but it's harder to identify that because it's more insidious. It happens much longer you know, usually know you're sleep deprived after like two to three weeks, right? I mean, I know your audience's fathers, everyone knows that like- Sleep deprivation. (laughs) Yeah, remember the first two (laughs) to three weeks, you're riding high, right? Especially with your first kid because you don't know what's coming. And then all of a sudden you fall off a cliff, right? You're like, oh, okay, we need to start to divide and conquer because, you know, it's about managing energy. The same is true with enjoying life. But the problem is it can happen like six months instead of, you know, three to four with like sleep deprivation. So when you're fun deprived, you know, it's harder to look in the rear view mirror and go, what the heck happened? You know, because oftentimes, because it also has interesting ripple effects, right? Through this concept called social contagion, you start to get grumpy with other folks, um, the family unit and your, you know, if you have a network of friends, you stop exchanging oxytocin, which starts to reduce empathy. I've seen this in my own research with the physicians you know, physicians will start to lose empathy for their patients and you can see a direct line to patient outcomes. And so the same thing happens in the family unit, right? It's like, you don't quite understand what's happening, but slowly but surely you're in this downward spiral. And I think that's really the message is that it's important to understand that because the course correction is pretty easy. You know, it's really sometimes as simple as reframing. Sometimes it's as simple as increasing your options for fun because you're just like, haven't given yourself the grace to be like, what is it that I want me and you know my family to do? Or then sometimes it's about co-creating that because you always feel like you're you know living for others when really, you know, if the family unit is healthy, it should be about what can we all do together? And then what kind of independence can I give each individual, you know, within reason and um within you know the psychological and physiological safety that's needed, you know. Um but how can I create that so that everyone's really enjoying their time and says someone, you know, feeling like, well, I'm just living for other people. Yeah. Amazing. Uh, in the book, you have the play model and this play model that you introduce in the book is a fantastic framework for incorporating more fun into our lives. Um, you and I are both dads. So how, <laughs> how can dads apply the play model in their roles as fathers and create a more joyful and fulfilling family dynamic? So let me unpack it real quick, just because it is a visual model. And so um, for your listeners, play stands for pleasing, living, agonizing, and yielding. And it's a four quadrant model. And it essentially is just splitting your the things that you do with the amount of energy they take and the amount of enjoyment that you get. And so pleasing are things that are pretty easy to do. 
you know, like casually playing with your kids or pets. Um, you know, if you're more introverted and, you know, like low arousal activities, it might be things like reading. Um, so those are the things that oftentimes we get, you know, let them get pushed to the wayside when really we need those kind of sprinkled in the, you know, in our day. This work comes from Dan Gilbert, who a lot of folks know, um, and Matthew Killingsworth. But what we know is that when we kind of just mind wander throughout the day, you know, kind of make ourselves busy instead of indexing at least some things that we enjoy, we tend to get unhappy fairly quick. So that's that's why that quadrant exists. The living quadrant is really about growth, you know, um, doing things that you really enjoy, but that are hard. So uh, we don't need to spend a lot of time on that. I think you, you know, your listeners understand the importance of, you know, finding those things that kind of push you. Um, but sometimes you need that nudge, right? Like, wow, I haven't done anything that's really stretched me, you know, in the last six months, let's get something like that on the calendar. Yeah. The other two are the important parts, especially at the onset of trying to increase the fun. And so agonizing are things that are really hard, not fun at all, and take a lot of energy. And so generally, we can't engineer a life where those are totally devoid, right? Right. But there are ways to critically look at them. Are you spending too much time on something? Are there ways to outsource it? Um, you know, especially if you're an entrepreneur, are you taking on too much yourself? Um, you know, there's a great book called E-Myth Revisited. And I love this line um, from it. I think it's from uh, the author that, uh, you know, if you're an entrepreneur, uh, nine times out of 10, you're going to hate your boss, right? <laughs> you know, because yeah. it, it's really hard to delegate. And so, you know, but when you look at the things that you really just don't want to be doing, you know, perhaps you can, uh, you know, find ways to either delegate, reduce them or do them in a different way. So they're more enjoyable. The one that I generally have folks tackle first, though, is the yielding category. Mm -hmm. And that's things that don't take a lot of energy and just generally aren't fun, but a lot of times can trick us into feeling like they're fun because what they're doing is really displacing discomfort. So like when you're so burnt out because you're really not enjoying your life, um, oftentimes we just want to pass the time because, you know, a silly meme on social media or plopping down on the couch, you know, to actually rest. But instead of resting, you know, kind of channel surf uh, Netflix or whatever it is, not enjoying what we're actually watching, but really just trying to get out of our own head. Mm -hmm. What we know is that those don't really lead to betterment or any fulfillment. They really just get us to the next day. Um, and they don't add any vigor or vitality to your next day. So they continue that downward spiral. So they trick us into thinking we're enjoying ourselves. They really aren't. When you look at them retrospectively, um, a good litmus test is if I asked you, you know, what was it that you were watching? Could you even tell me, you know, three of the memes you thought were funny or what were you watching, you know, Tell me the basic plot line of the TV show you're watching. When your brain thinks something is so uh, unimportant that it doesn't encode any memory of it at all, that's generally a pretty good indication that you're it's not enjoyable. Essentially, you're just pacifying yourself. And so these are the opportunities where, okay, I, have, I am doing these within my week. How could I potentially shift them into things that are more enjoyable? Now, what I will say is that at the onset, that's generally hard because when we're so depleted, right? Like those things are comfortable. Sitting on the couch and not doing anything yep. you know, is comfortable. But if you can change it and shift it 
to an upward spiral by, and it usually only, the good news is it usually only takes two to three weeks by fitting in things that you actually want to do. What we find is that, you know, the next day, you know, the coming week, you're excited, you know, because you're, you, you know, you either have created a transition ritual between work and life. So you're actually now enjoying yourself instead of, you know, keeping your mind chewing on the, you know, the problems of the day. Yeah. Or you figured out a way to actually enjoy the things that you're doing if your life is more blended, right? A lot of folks that work from home would find it difficult to have a transition ritual, but if they really time block things, you know, for their family, um, you know, and then again, reduce things that are kind of filling in the nooks and crannies that aren't enjoyable, um, they, they can see these big shifts. But again, because it happens over time, you kind of got to stick with it because the first couple of weeks, you're going to be like, uh, this isn't, you know, like, okay, yeah. you know, this is more whimsical than it is something that's restorative. But um, again, you know, like without fail, once you can sort of make this more habitual, what you'll see is not only are you enjoying yourself more, but you're actually more productive, you mm -hmm. know, and again, which is a bit paradoxical, right? But then one last thing to add there, which I think is some of the which I really found fascinating. It's not only are you more productive, you know, because you're, you're reducing, it's almost like, I, I know you speak a lot about fitness as well. Like it's sort of, you know, if you overdo it at the gym, right, then you're going to, you're going to start to see diminishing returns. You right. have to, ha you know, be able to save some capacity for renewal. So the productivity thing is kind of easier for folks to understand what I think is, Another amazing bonus that's often not talked about as much is once folks do kind of feel that their fun cup is full, they're also the people that seek out harder challenges. So when you see grinders, oftentimes they're using their intellect and their wisdom to get through the day. And if they're really good, like they studied hard or they understand the algorithm that's going to make them successful, then they just run that, right? But they're, they're not enjoying themselves. It's really routine. Um, and they're really just getting through the day. But when people have the capacity to, you know, to enjoy themselves, they start to think non-linearly because, again, they don't need to rely on those heuristics and algorithms. And so you see folks that are putting this into practice also are the ones that are the most innovative and the ones that seek out harder challenges. They're the ones, you know, if they're kind of play hard, work hard people, right? They're the ones, you know, climbing the mountains and, yeah. you know, uh, finding the amazing places to kite surf and, and things like that. So it's a one-two punch, right? Yeah. But again, if you're not on board, if you're kind of stuck in that Puritan, you know, Protestant work ethic where all of your self-worth and value comes from work, it's really hard to change that mental script, right? Even though right. the evidence is right in front of you yeah. that again, the rub is you're less productive and guess what? You're also not enjoying your life. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. So you identify in the book that the modern world prioritizes achievement and success over fun and play and you know how that you, you dive into how this impacts a person's well-being, and their, you just mentioned their productivity. How can dads prioritize fun in a way that balances their responsibilities, those things that we have as fathers and the demands of work? while still having fun and enjoying family life? Yeah, so I think it's just a matter of finding that balance, right? Mm -hmm. And so for a lot of folks, again, we kind of, you know, alluded to it a little bit earlier, but it's, you know, are you approaching the 
things that you need to do to be a good father as a burden, you know, I have to do a sense of duty, or you figure, you know, talking to your children and your partner in a way where you're co-creating these experiences that lift all of you up, right? And so one of the things I talk about in the book is, you know, most of us, especially with young children, want to get them active, certainly want to get them off screens. um, And, you know, it's great for agility. You know, we know that has a huge impact to introduce children um, early on to sports. So I found myself taking my, you know, oldest when she was about five to a tumbling class. And I was essentially just sitting on the bench watching her, right? And so the first few, you know, sessions was great because you get to see the novelty of your child, you know, learning new skills. But after it became routine, I was essentially just killing an hour, right? Because she was doing the same stuff. And, you know, I cheer on from time to time, but generally I found myself on my phone. Mm -hmm. And so I identified that as kind of an hour that, you know, again, I was moving into that. I have to do, I have to get her to gymnastics and then I have to get her home. So I was like, what could I do different that still achieves this goal? And uh, realized that at her young age, since the only thing we were trying to do was, you know, develop her physical fitness, why don't I take a dance class with her where we could, you know, engage in something together where she's still, you know, learning the same sort of skills. And so for just a few more dollars, because again, this isn't, you know, something that required a huge amount of privilege. I think the, the, the classes were like $40 and to get a private instructor, again, these are North Carolina prices. It might be harder <laughs> in more saturated markets. I think it was like five or $10 more a session. I found a dance instructor that was, you know, could cater to both of us because mm-hmm. at the time I was also rehabilitating an injury. So it was like a, a one plus one equals three, you know, amazing memories with my daughter. She's still getting the physical fitness that she wants. And then I was able to, you know, participate in rehabilitation that I before was doing at um, a PT place that uh, for me was like watching paint dry. <laughs> yeah. You know, you mentioned taking the dance class with your daughter and you're doing this together, but, you know, fun and play are often associated with childhood and not with adulthood. But you mentioned in the book that it's equally as important to play and to have fun as an adult. Um, and that it's not a frivolous distract or a distraction from the serious things that we have, but it's something that should be ingrained in your day-to-day life. How can we overcome maybe the societal pressures or the expectations placed on us as dads to be like, maybe just let our guard down a little bit and embrace fun and playfulness with our children? Yeah, I think, you know, it's really setting the stage, right? So um, it could be that you try on a different persona for a little bit until it feels natural, right? Mm-hmm. So for some folks, I'm actually stealing this from Todd Herman, but he talked about in his book, um, you know, a, a lot of military parents that have that problem, they'll come into the house as a drill sergeant, right? And so I, what I added to Todd's idea comes from psychology, what psychologists need to do to be able to do that is what we call a transition ritual. And I think I already kind of, you know, prompted that we were going to eventually talk about this. So it could be for you that, you know, once the day, the work day is done, you just take a walk around the block, or maybe if you're into meditation, maybe like a quick five minute meditation and just be a different person once you approach that space, right? 
I think where a lot of people find difficulty is we're not really moving in, you know, to this new role. And mm -hmm. so um, to the ability that you can do that, like, okay, I am giving myself permission, you know, again, uh, kind of a nod to Brene Brown, but like, sometimes that's what it takes. Like it is okay in this space for me to be childlike. And so, and there's also amazing benefits from it, right? Again, right. sorry to keep geeking out on the science, but you know, again, for the folks that are interested, just to know these aren't, this isn't just conjecture and some weird guy telling you to do it. This comes from something called transactional analysis. And when we're able to be in that childlike state, we allow our kids to be much more like themselves and we're going to get to know them better because when they think we're trying to teach them something, they realize that it's not necessarily meant to be an activity for fun. It's meant, oh, my parents are teaching me something and I'm meant to learn. And so the rules of engagement are totally different. When the child knows that you are now in a childlike state, then they relinquish that and they're going to tell you know give you more of their personality and they're also going to have a, a stronger bond with you because you know of course you can flip back into teacher or parent mode yeah. but during that time you know you're at the same level and so there's so much to gain so one of the things that I've been telling people a lot lately is even if you're good at something and you're trying to teach your child try to go and um, also learn with them through a third party because now you guys can joke together, learn the skill together, and that guards down, right? And you'll often find that the child starts to enjoy that activity so much more as well, because like now it's not, you know, this interesting parent-child dynamic, it's two friends, you know, on this amazing journey to mastery together. And so that's just another example, you know, sometimes it just takes a shift in energy to be able to open that door. Yeah. As a dad, sometimes I feel that like I want to play, I want to have fun, but I have this ideal of what it looks like in my head. And I almost script it out because I'm an adult and I suck at this, but it's like, Oh, my daughter, my daughter's now 11. And so I'm like, okay, we're going to go do this. And we're going to do a B C and she's going to do it this way. And we're going to go, it's going to be a great time. Hey guys, I wanted to take a moment and talk about our community of DMD brothers in the DMD mastermind. We are men who help each other to stay focused and intentional in our pursuits of personal, professional, physical, financial, emotional, and spiritual growth. We are a community of men who bring courage, wisdom, and transparency to unfiltered conversations that challenge us to be more impactful men. To be dads making a difference. We do this through our online and in-person events where men come together to speak into each other's lives and then turn around and do the deep work to create change in their families, in their businesses, and in the community around them. If you are wondering if this community might be right for you, you can find more information on the DMD Mastermind, and you can also book a call directly with me at dmdmastermind.com. Now, let's get back to our show. I, I've read in your book, you, you share a great story about taking your daughter to uh, uh, to an event with the lanterns. Yeah, yeah. And and it just got me thinking about how many times I try to script the fun instead of just letting it happen. Well, it's so funny. I was on my, you know, mentor's podcast, Michael Gervais, 
And so it was a little bit intense, right? Because it's sort of student master, right? Yeah. And, but it was good. I mean, he was asking me similar type questions and the exact same scenario came up. And so we unpacked it, right? And he's like, I, I'm trying, you know, here's this guy that trains athletes, right? So right. I'm, I'm doing exactly what you just shared, Cam. Like I'm setting up um, these things, you know, and, um, you know, oftentimes they'll just kind of goof off and I'll go, so we're talking about fun still, right, Mike? And he goes, yeah. I go, how many outcomes have you put on this like playful endeavor that you and your child are supposed to be having quote unquote fun on, right? And he's yeah. like, you know, it was a, it kind of gave him pause. Like, I think if you want to go out and teach your kid to surf or play baseball, or run faster, that's great. But no, that's part of, you know, the, the kind of list of dutiful things you need to do. And that's probably more for you. And the child's not there to have fun. They're there to learn. And so yeah. there's going to be those times for it, right? But if you want to go play with your child, and again, this is just as important, then don't worry about the outcomes. You know, worry about really enjoying the company of this person that loves you to death, right? And then, right. you know, then kind of flip back and go, okay, now, we, you know, this is serious. We're going to try and, you know, learn something, you know, when then, you know, when that time comes. Yeah. Uh, I'll put you on the spot. See, yeah, please. But, there, but there's, you give two rules for play <laughs> with your kids in the book. Can you speak to those? Yeah. So again, we've already kind of alluded to it, but play isn't play. Um, well, first let your kids lead, right? Because they're obviously way better teachers as adults. Um, we don't need to feel guilty about this. Um, there's a host of reasons it happens, but as adults, we kind of learn, lose, you know, the skills of play, right? Because we have so much incoming information coming at us, you know, and then once we have children, not just, you know, things that we have to navigate, but have to navigate for them as well. We have to figure out those algorithms and heuristics that allow us to navigate in the world. The problem is, is once we get myopic in that way, right, then we lose the ability to kind of go, oh, let me think about this space in a joyful and creative way. Kids still have that ability, right? And just like riding a bike, once you see them engage and kind of follow along, they can be the best teachers to get us back into that space. But the second rule is fun isn't fun if you're both not enjoying yourselves. So again, going back to, you know, that tumbling example, um, I see it all the time, you know, at the park where, you know, a parent is just sitting on the bench, essentially, you know, watching their kid play. And sometimes you can even hear them murmur, right? Like, oh, yeah. I wish I could still enjoy myself like that. Like, well, what's stopping you? Like, are you really concerned about what all these strangers think about you? You know, if you were to get on the slide and then every time you see a parent relinquish, you know, that need to sort of worry about what other people think about them, they have the best time. Right. And so, and then if that's not your jam, something that's really is juvenile, right. Then figure out what it is that you two can enjoy together. Like, so the same way that your child wouldn't keep playing with a friend that did things they hated to do, like they're going to understand and be empathetic if you're like, I don't want to play Hot Wheels car for the 20th time. Right. right. And yeah. so you can ask them, like, what is it? You know, and there is always something, right? Like it could be, you know, since we're speaking to fathers, right? Like I do have a, a father bias. So sometimes when I'm on mom, mom podcasts, I'm like, 
you know, Nerf gun wars. And they're like, what? You know, yeah. but like, I mean, there's so many things, right? You know, again, we could just rattle them off, right? You know, if you're more of a cook, like, can you guys build a garden together, you know, of like herbs that you could then use to, you know, create pizzas together. If you're into, you know, kind of rough and tumble play, again, Nerf guns or water balloon fights, um, you know, for uh, something I just did uh, with my son, we went go-kart racing because that was our jam, you know, yeah. but I mean, the, the possibilities are endless of meeting in the middle. Um, you know, once your kid gets, you know, you know, I think six or older, you're generally going to find things that will be engaging for both of you. Yeah. Everything you shared, you're given examples of it. Here's different activities. Here's things you can do just like on the fly. And in your book, you emphasize the importance of being present and mindful in order to fully enjoy those fun experiences. But there's guys listening to this right now. Say, yeah, this is great. But I find it really hard to be present in the moment because I just find I get distracted. And I think as adults, they have a point. Like we are so distracted by the things that are coming uh, into it's There's a lot of input and not as much output in our world. And we're taking all these things in and it interferes with our ability to sit down and be present. And I realized this with both my kids. You mentioned Hot Wheels. My son loves Hot Wheels. So I'll lay on the ground, play Hot Wheels, and then I'm playing for like three minutes. And I'm kind of like, my brain starts to wander and I'm struggling being present in that moment with him where he could go for another 30. You know, what are some ways maybe that we don't play Hot Wheels for 30 minutes, but that we can be more, more mindful and more present, uh, just both mentally and emotionally um, with our kids? Yeah, so let's unpack a couple of things there, right? And essentially regroup on some of the things we've already discussed. So what you just described is certainly yielding activity. It falls right in line with mindlessly watching social media or doom scrolling the news or whatever, right? I mean, right. you're not really enjoying yourself. It's kind of a low energy activity, but again, you're kind of waiting for the next thing to happen. Yeah. So the best strategy is what we literally just discussed, and that is, what can I do um, that's going to keep me engaged with my son? And there is always going to be something. There is a tool of mindfulness for folks that are, you know, want to kind of master that craft. And what you can do is really focus on the enjoyment of your child. So for folks that have really, and again, this is geeky neuroscience, but for folks that have developed mirror neurons, um, if you are, if you tend to be empathetic, if you find yourself kind of bored, refocusing on the joy of your child can sometimes for some get you into that mode, right? Where you're like, okay, right. I don't necessarily enjoy this, but oh my goodness, my child does, right? Again, that works for some, not others. The other is, you know, and this is just basic behavioral science, make sure that any of those things that would distract you are far away. So the phone being the biggest one, right? I have you know, a place to put it when I am in these moments, because, um, you know, it, it's, it draws you to it, right? I mean, if you feel it buzz, or you, you know, it's an eye um, shot, and you see that stupid little LED light go off, you have a physiological reaction, right? right? And so, you know, creating that space, oftentimes, it can be getting out of the house. Um, if you're in the house, making sure that the things that do distract you, um, you know, are far away, uh, you know, it's it's basic habit formation, you know, stuff, but like, you know, giving yourself the best possibility for staying engaged, stacking the deck in your favor, um, you know, works the majority of the time. You know, it's generally that we don't do that, right? Because we're like, eh, 
my phone really isn't that powerful. Like, yes, it is, you know? Um, And so there's three things, again, to kind of finish it. So, you know, I already given two strategies, but the way you could look at it, are there three constructs that generally kind of light you up, right? So it's the activity. And so we talked about that, right? Can you co-create an activity that's going to make you want to, you know, stay in the moment? Um, Is it the people? So, you know, for some, it's like, well, I like playing with my kid, but, um, you know, some of his friends, like, just, you know, it makes me so crazy. I just want to walk away from it. So is there a way, you know, to create a situation where you really enjoy the people that you're with? So sometimes that could be play dates with, um, you know, one of your friends too, that's, you know, has kids that's also friends with your friends. I mean, it just so happens my best friend has, you know, kids of a similar age. So I will buy us time with him because I know we'll all enjoy it. Right. And he just happens to be a really fun guy anyways, and has cool toys. Um, and then the last <laughs> is the environment, right? If you just find it too hard to do it, you know, in your house, like maybe it's more time at the community pool. Maybe it's, you know, um, engaging on hikes, you know, so that you're in nature, you're going to know what your jam is, but oftentimes it can be the environment that's, you know, the, um, crux of the problem. And so can you tweak the environment, you know, so that you're more in it because, um, that space is more can, you know, conducive to being mindful and it just takes practice too. I mean, mindfulness isn't hard, but it is something, you know, that you develop over time. So, you know, if you're like, yeah, I want to do this and, you know, similar to meditation, right. The, the, the first go at it is like, ah, I was only, it was 10 minutes before I wanted, you know, I was thinking about email. That's fine. You know, give yourself yeah. some grace, but just stay with it. Cause what you will find is you'll start to savor that time so much more. And so let me unpack why that's important. So again, we talked about um, our brain understanding things that we enjoy as important in encoding more information, right? When we're mindful in that way, so we remember, you know, what we saw and the sounds that we heard. And like, let's say, you know, again, you're cooking with your child, the smells of the delicious food. These things have just an enormous amount of benefit. One, it makes us look at that memory in a much more richer context. It dilates time. So we will look at like, you know, I just watched your episode about you reminiscing about 2022. When we're mindful of that way, we'll look back and just remember all the time we had with our kids. The folks that have habituated their behavior with their kids are like, holy cow, what happened to this year, right? Are truly living, you know, the, um, the years are long, but the time is short, right? Yeah. The parents that are able to practice mindfulness in this way have a richer data set. And so look back at their time as more elongated. And then lastly, if you care about this, we also know it adds to neuroplasticity. So when you are encoding more information, being mindful at anything that you do, um, there's pretty clear science that it will help stave off cognitive decline later in life. So you're not just you know doing it for your loved ones. It's also yeah. got some health benefits too. Yeah. Like there's actual benefits to this guys, you know, That's like, right. it's like oh, <laughs> I don't have time for that. No, but this will benefit not only you and your family and your kids, but like your health in the long term. And I think that gets overlooked sometimes. Uh, and I, I wanna... think it, it opens up um, emotional intelligence too. What I find mm-hmm. is parents practice it. Sometimes they'll get more in tune with their child, right? Where these are some amazing opportunities sometimes for kids to let their guard down and really tell you, you know, what's wrong. Cause oftentimes 
in the throes of kind of the family routine, you're not going to get that type of information because everyone kind of knows what task is ahead of them, right? You got to get ready for bed. You got to do your homework. When we're in these moments where we're really enjoying ourselves, you know, just like you can think back of friendships in college, you know, when we had more opportune times for this type of activity, those are the times where folks are going to let their guard down and let you know. And so, you know, again, it's just these ripple effects of positivity that come from, you know, being able to engage in this way um, are pretty amazing. You've mentioned now, you referred back to the times in college where we had friends around us who would draw us into this, but you also mentioned the one of the strategies is connecting with a dad who is a friend who has similar age kids. In the book, you talk about the importance of a supportive social network uh, for fostering fun and fostering happiness. Can you share maybe some advice for people who may struggle in finding those relationships? Yeah, I think the best strategy I've seen is trying to find folks that have similar affinities, right? Mm -hmm. And so even for introverts, if you connect with a group that already has folks that are like-minded, you know, so let's say you're into reading, you know, reading group. And so you're talking about solo father activities for folks that are just like, I need some form of um, my own development, right? Like, so whatever your jam is, that generally is such a safe space because even if you don't really feel like talking to people yet, like being able to share an activity that you all enjoy is immediately going to give you a commonality that is one of the you know foundational pieces of friendship that makes it so hard when we try to find friends that like you know our kids games and things of that nature right we tend to be really cordial but can we tell an off-color joke right like where is the bumper rails where and so when you have something you know an activity that there is this shared interest in it already kind of develops that bond And sometimes with some of the shared interests, it also has cultural norms and social norms that you're going to understand that makes you feel even safer, right? That might not be in every group, but um, generally I find that to be the most effective um, because again, it's kind of plug and play, right? Yeah. Amazing. What advice would you give to someone right now who's listening to this? I'm like, okay, tomorrow I'm starting. I'm going to make this a priority. Uh, And who wants to make the fun habit a part of like the regular life, where should they start? What's like step one? Yeah, I think the easiest, although sometimes not the most fun, is really just to be mindful of how you spend your week, right? Mm. There's only 168 hours in a week. So it's a really easy frame to kind of pay attention and be mindful of what are the things that you're doing that potentially you could change, right? Because what you don't want to do is make fun another mandate, another bullet on your already, you know, overwhelming to-do list, right? right. And so we don't want to just go out and look for things to do because ultimately that's not sustainable, right? And then two, you know, if someone's already feeling overwhelmed, um, it's essentially a facet of positive or toxic positivity, right? Like, hey, you know, good vibes only. Like, you know, yeah. it, it, just forget the fact that you feel like crap. Like, it's just, you know, so understanding where you can reduce the things that are kind of, you know, dragging you down is the most important first step. And generally being mindful in that way is so much more illuminating than you think at first blush, right? Like, if you don't believe me, just look at the health meter on your iPhone or your Android, 
And it doesn't necessarily have to be Facebook or Instagram. It could be your Gmail app, right? Or Slack or Discord. Like people are amazed at how much time, you know, they're probably ineffectively using these tools, right? And so how can you time block those things? Because I certainly don't advocate for getting rid of them. Like anything that you're trying to, where you're trying to create healthy habits, abstinence usually backfires in horrible ways, right? But if you put bumper rails on, like, hey, I enjoy Instagram, but wow, I'm on it five hours a week. Okay, let me decide that, you know, I will look at it, um, you know, sometime an hour before bed. So I maintain good sleep hygiene, but it's going to be something I enjoy. So I look forward to it, but I'm going to give myself 30 minutes and that's it. Right. Um, so that's just one example, but it could be, um, you know, things that you've habituated that you don't really like anymore for one person they were going to Toastmasters, which I think is a wonderful thing. So I'm not dogging on them, but they didn't like the particular group they were with anymore, but mm -hmm. they, it was just on their calendar. Right. And so they're doing it. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then figuring out what are those things, you know, where you can create some space so that you can add new things in and then just try it out for a couple of weeks, add, you know, one or two hours of things that really light you up. And it, especially if it's, you know, something like a hobby, like for, you know, a lot of dads is picking the guitar back up that first week or, you know, week or two isn't going to be as fun as you had hoped because you're going to be like, I can't even play Stairway to Heaven anymore. Like, what am I doing? But by week three, like, again, dollars to donuts, you're going to really, you know, just be stoked. Like, wow. Okay. Um, and it can be that one thing that creates this cascading effect, right? Because you just, again, it's this ripple thing. And not all of them are going to happen to you, but some of them are going to happen. One, you're going to be a better person. So through this idea of social contagion, people around you are going to be like, oh, he's happier. I'm happier, right? Right. Two, once you do it, usually your partner or your spouse wants to also like figure out something. So you start to have better conversations about, you know, yeah, I'm enjoying this. I want you to enjoy yourself too. How can we restructure things so that, you know, we do have, you know, sort of this life outside of each other so that when we come back, we can talk about this amazing thing. And that generally creates an upward spiral. And then three, people want to be invited into it, right? So when your kids see, you know, you doing cool things, again, it can spawn these conversations where you start to create, you know, more opportunities. You know, in the book, I call it options, but you start to be more expansive, right? And think about like, okay, this was good. Like, how do we get more of this, you know? Yeah. And again, then the amazing byproduct, you know, it's chicken, chicken and the egg, but the amazing byproduct is you'll also find that you end up crushing the day because now you're enjoying things. So, you know, in the book, I talk about, this isn't my research, but Dr. Cassie Holmes out of UCLA, who simply asked folks to go into their weekend thinking it's a vacation, no other mandate, just mm -hmm. that simple story editing reframe, right? And so people that did that, that actually like use that time for renewal. And what she found was people didn't really change the things they did. They still mowed the lawn, they still cleaned the attic, but they were mindful of like, hey, you know, maybe we should go out for ice cream or treat our, you know, like during the spaces in between. Yeah. Came back to work Monday with such a better attitude and were able to be more productive. And so these things, again, aren't going to take away from, you know, your value or your self-worth or your productivity, they're actually additive. And then the bonuses, guess what? You're a lot more happy too. Amazing. 
like you've shared so much knowledge on this. Like I am, I love listening back to the conversations I have, and I know I'm going to listen to this one multiple times and I'll be taking more notes because I love (laughs) it. So thank you for sharing so much, but I have one more question for you. And I'd love asking this question to guys because it's a little bit different, but you know, as a dad right now, Mike, what is one area of growth that you're excited about or you're diving into right now? I think it's developing a more mature relationship with my daughter you know, she's starting to flex her own agency and autonomy. And that's something that I value highly, but understanding that because uh, I am pretty open about um, those difficulties with my parents. You know, I talk about in the book, getting emancipated and my parents were pretty poor at navigating that challenge. So uh, making sure that I don't go overboard because oftentimes, right, if you're trying to make up for your, your, you know, what you felt was lacking in your parents that can go off the rails, but allowing her to express herself in ways that gives her that freedom while still being a good father and making sure that I'm doing the things that I need to do to guide her in the right direction. Um, yeah, is where I'm, you know, trying to learn from elders, as it were, and make sure I do it right and, uh, and do it the best way possible. Amazing. Thank you for sharing. Thanks for uh, being vulnerable in that. And you know, we're all dads who are trying to be better for our kids. And uh, no, I appreciate you sharing that. Thank you. Uh, Mike, if somebody's listening to this right now, and they want to connect with you, they want to get a copy of your book, or just learn more about you, where can they do that? So um, everything about me can be found at my website, michaelrucker.com. And the book is uh, still available anywhere you enjoy buying books. Um, it had a pretty wide release, but of course, you know, amazon.com, barnesandnoble.com. But I always encourage people to support their local bookstore. So certainly, uh, you know, look there too. Amazing. And the book again is The Fun Habit, How the Pursuit of Joy and Wonder Can Change Your Life. Mike, thank you for taking time out of your schedule and away from your family today to to be with us and to share your knowledge with us. I appreciate you. Yeah, likewise, Cam. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining me today on this episode of the Dad's Making a Difference podcast. I hope you found value in today's show. And if it made a positive impact on you, please share it with someone you know, leave a five-star review and subscribe so you don't miss out on upcoming episodes. And if you are a father listening to this right now who is driven to build a life of significance, to truly make a difference in the life of your family, in your business, and in the community around you, go to dmdmastermind.com to learn more about the Dads Making a Difference Mastermind, a mastermind group for fathers that provides men with the skills, the connections, the accountability, the proven steps, and the brotherhood to truly become a dad making a difference. I'm Cam Hall. Thank you for spending time with me today, and I will see you on the next episode of the DMD Podcast.